We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Monday, Monday, September 26th. And you know what we do on Mondays. We bring in James McCool. It's Mondays with McCool. James McCool, my co-author on the uh, theory of daily fantasy sports. Uh, the original... Fundamentals Masterclass, 15 hours DFS Masterclass for you. And then we just released the uh, Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports for advanced players. 10 chapters of audio as well as uh, Excel tools built from the ground up by uh, by James right here. And uh, I even have a message for you, James, from uh, from from our Discord, from Ooh. the Roto-Grinders Discord, my Blenders Game Theory channel uh, from Snellman. Tell James, thank you very much for adding player exposure to the portfolio trimmer. Yeah. This is a huge game changer. Made trimming lineups so much faster. I could just look for players that I wanted less exposure to and trim those lineups. Very fast and smooth process. Said he started with 2,000 lineups for showdown last night. And between the duplicate duplication predictor and that, it took maybe 15 minutes to get yeah. down to 100. Now, now he's just obviously at the, before the slate. He was saying, hoping one of them hits, right? So, uh, so you, you did you did have uh, an update uh, over the over the weekend, which I I tested before, and I tried testing on the show live because I'm a I'm a glutton for punishment. Just like I'll just transparently just like okay, let's see what it, this looks like. Up, oh, okay, it doesn't work properly. I guess I, I guess James has to fix that. Okay, well we'll see what happens, mm-hmm. right? The old one still works. It just doesn't have these these two new features in it. Uh, but I, I like the fact that what we're doing is getting feedback. This is not just like, okay, we made some Excel tools. Here you go. Bye. We're gone. You know, we're off to Tahiti or something like that. That uh, you, you get feedback from users mm-hmm. 
and saying, oh, yeah, this, it would work better this way. It would be easier this way. Not saying, or fixing bugs in very re- outlier scenarios. It's like, well, yeah, maybe we didn't realize that someone's using Windows 95 from 1997 or something, you know, like, even though you, you're not going to be able to use it for that anyway. Uh, and, and, and you know, you know, the biggest user of, of the tools? That's me. That's me. That's yeah. actually me. So, like, I'm the one that's saying, hey, uh, yeah, this works great, but I'd love to not have to pay, cut and paste this back and forth all the time and just see this right in that screen. So on the duplication predictor, as well as on the uh, the portfolio trimmer, just being able to count your exposure, uh, like uh, how, how much do you have of a certain player? And then being able to key your lineups in based on that where instead of me having to cut and paste, sort out my Devontae Adams lineups or whatever, and then just go, okay, now I have to cut and fit. Now I have to just have those lineups in the portfolio trimmer, and I have to get these eight lineups down to five. You could do that even while you have all of your lineups in. You just key on that player. You, there's a little drop down, select the player, and now whenever you tr- use the, the trim threshold buttons, it'll it'll only only deal with the ones that have that player in it mm-hmm. or it'll be with all of them if you choose to have all of them right right well obviously yeah you don't sound yeah. that excited uh no 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 i'm i'm excited um i i think that uh those those additions were were cool they were kind of hard to put in and then like when, so i i sent them to to blender at uh like 7 30 in the morning right I, I was working on them. I started working on them at like 6 a.m. for a couple days straight. And then I set them off 7.30. I was like, hey, here's the new, uh, here's some new additions. Here you go. Uh, let me know what you think. And then a couple hours passed by. And he's like, uh, here's my update. They didn't work. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. Uh, what happened? He's like, just go watch the show and you'll see the feedback. Okay. Well, you to, to be just, fair, one of the things that didn't work should have worked. I just cut and paste something in the wrong column. Yeah, you did it wrong. Um, no, I mean, I I get it, but it's it was uh, you know th- those experiences are always good, and um, I did do some um, some cleaning up of my code on the back end. So for those of you that understand how to code in VBA macro, um, you'll see that I I assigned some more variables and I did some things that are cleaner and more correct but also understand that I don't code to make things clean and correct. I code to make things work. So no, anybody you, who, you, you do shave your face to be clean and correct. Once every two years. Yeah, I am clean shaven right now, as everybody can see. Um, I look like a thumb without a hat on right now, as you can see, completely shaven. I look hilarious when I completely shave. It's like seeing a, it's like seeing a bear shaved in the wild, just walking around looking completely weird. Uh, you look much less threatening. I do look much less threatening. Yeah, I look like I look like I actually am when I don't have a beard. When I have a beard and I'm like tattooed and I'm bald, like people can get some wrong impressions of me. But I'm a really nice guy. I'm pretty soft and I have a small chin. So um, that's who I am like underneath the beard. And um, it'll be weird for like a week and a half. And I I think that uh, I had some bad juju this weekend because I decided to shave my beard. And that's why I lost all of my money is because I didn't have my beard. <laughs> that's a good word. That's a good excuse. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta have some narratives every once in a while. That's why, uh, let's see my, my Minnesota stack was absolutely tragically bad because I didn't have a beard. That's why 
That's the only reason why. There are there are no other reasons. So looking through the chat, uh, uh, give those thumbs up so you know how much I love the thummy thumbs. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Hit everything. What doesn't Suki sing? The pair, the, the the early pair here is usual. Doug Montgomery, Bart B, Max Coach, Joe Mac. Good morning, Rob Gardner. Uh, says, uh, well, DJ a dog uh, says y'all got a great product and incredible customer service. Thank you for the course. I'm assuming, I'm assuming, right. Cause you, I tell people when people DM me like, I, I, I don't understand how to do this in the tool. I go, you bother James. Don't bother. <laughs> right. If you have a problem with the site, like, Oh, I purchased this and it didn't down. Like I'll help you with that. But it, like when it just tools wise, I just say, James is the person I, yeah, yes. I, I could, pro- I could probably help you. But it's better to come from the horse's mouth. I, I'm yeah. the one asking James, going, "Well, if I can't do this, like, what am I doing wrong?" Right. So the only thing I need to know is, like, okay, what what are your updates? So at least I can tell people. But uh, I, but, you, but you do you have much more, but much better customer service than than I do. I I do try really hard to have good customer service. So like emails i get to i have them all cleaned out i think there's two maybe that that i haven't responded to today but uh usually i'll answer in the morning and at night and if you guys really have some things to ask find me in the discord because i'm always in the discord i don't always check my email i'll check my email when i when i have some downtime and you talk about uh, the paid the pay dirt discord which is yeah yeah the pay dirt discord yeah yeah which it's free to enter you can go find it over on the site and member tools there's free link um, but if you DM me on there, or if you ask me something on in like one of the channels there, I'll get back to it like pretty much instantly. Twitter is is next faster than email. The the thing about it is though that um, if you have an issue that you straight up can't solve, I'm always happy. I'll just say, hey, yeah, just send me the file with the error in it, and I'll see what's going on. I'll see what's going wrong, and um, I'll debug it on my end. Uh, it takes me a little bit more time to do that, but I'm always happy to do that. Uh, they're, they're the vast majority of the time. It's one of two things, or it's one of three things. Um, it's a MacBook, which there's a framework issue with VBA, um, on MacBooks that I'm still trying to work out, hoping to have a solve for that this week. Uh, it is a not updated Excel, somebody using Excel from 2016 or 2018, uh, or somebody pasted the columns into the wrong columns. The, those are like the three big things that that like I, I can just open it up. I enable the macros. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, Chrome likes to block macros for whatever. There is a link in the change log that you can go to that fixes that problem for the macros. That'll show you how to fix it every single time. There's a link in the change log. Um, but those are the three things. Like it, it's almost always a super simple thing to fix. Um, if it's anything deeper than that, if there's an actual bug, if there's an actual quality of life thing, like those usually come in the next updates. But uh, yeah, I've been I've been really, really trying to be good about customer service. And it's something I do pride myself on. And and I always say, and I said when we released that I'm going to be a good dev about this. There's going to be dev support. There's going to be things that are upgraded and added on and up and upgraded and everything like that. So I'm glad that everybody is is really enjoying it and finding it actionable and and talking about how much it's helped their process because that's been the entire goal here. Someone in chat, Rob Gardner, says, uh, picked up the advanced course last week. Really good stuff. Does James know if the tools will work with Google Sheets with the Solver add-on? It will not. So Solver is uh, an Excel-specific add-on, not a Google Sheets add-on. 
So uh, the solver package will only work in Excel on a uh, desktop. I'm pretty sure. I don't think you can the, do so it. The, the solver you're only using for the simple lineup optimizer, though. Yeah, yeah. And and frankly, you should get a Roto-Grinder subscription if you'd really right. like to have an optimizer. Um, I, I think that it is okay. We, we've talked about it before. What it does, the, the solver package is really, really good as a rudimentary optimizer. Um, it will give you the local maxima lineup that is strong, but not necessarily the global maxima. And um, it has its limitations. It can only take in 200 variables unless you buy the, the enterprise package, which you don't have any reason to do that. Um, yeah. Everything, I, I everything else, like all, like the other tools could be converted into Google Sheets in some fashion. It just depends on how, how it would work in like... I, I could, I could see I could see the portfolio trimmer, for instance, working in Google Sheets with some adaptation, but I, the portfolio correlation matrix I, can can Google Sheets really even do that well? You can write macros in Google Sheets um, if you understand how. I, I'm sure that it wouldn't be that hard to convert the VBA code that I have written into the the macro code for Google Sheets, but I have not done enough of it to know if it would work the same way. Um, I think there's a way to convert it, but I can't give any guarantees. Right. That's why we even say in the FAQ, it's like, this is meant for Microsoft Excel 2021 plus or Microsoft 365 subscription. Yeah. If you want to add numbers or Google Sheets or whatever else other program, it's like, you have the technical know-how to switch this over there. Feel free. Go go for it if you want, but but uh, and, um, you don't support the- it naturally. No, no, it won't. It won't port easily over. Um, and no, Rob, the the tools don't all use Solver. Um, the tools are using VBA macros, uh, which is uh, the VBA. VBA is the coding language included with Excel to let you write macros that um, that run and do certain things. So it, it's kind of like a really dumb version of Python or a really dumb version of R. VBA is basically the worst of the worst in terms of coding languages. But it can do what it needs to do. Um, Solver, on the other hand, is a package add-on that is basically only for doing um, optimization problems, mostly linear optimization. But like you can, I, I've used it to do some some different kind of optimization problems with um, with things like F one that can't be linearly solved uh, in in solver ex- exclusively but yeah solver is a package add-on and vba is the coding language for excel they're they're okay you know what can be solved what dfs and okay. cash games Last, and, and ca- well cash games definitely I, I did very i did well yesterday uh both in in both both in cash both sides mm-hmm. gpp made a little bit i mean which if you're not going to get a top one percent finish, the worst thing, the best thing that could happen is can, can you make a small profit or something, or at least a small loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, the 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 pri- price picks an underdog twenty one and ten. I got two more going out tonight, so that could that could increase to twenty three and ten. Uh, so so I'd I'd a, I'd a, I'd a good day. Uh, even from a GPP standpoint, like I'm taking a look at the milli right now. Obviously. I mean, the, the the biggest thing in the entire slate was the fact that David Montgomery, at thirty two percent owned, gets injured in the first quarter or whatever, and doesn't doesn't he comes back as Khalil Herbert and Khalil Herbert 
crush ends it. up getting basically what we expected David Montgomery to get. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just I had David Montgomery in two lineups. I and I always do that. I always have two two running backs that I have in that I have diversified across my three lineups. And David Montgomery was one, Leonard Fournette was the other. I ended up swapping off of Leonard Fournette late, but I had David Montgomery. Um he gets injured and it's like I didn't even really like I didn't even really like Dave Montgomery that much. I used him to reduce the volatility in my lineups, which like I'm I'm fine doing because I play the 150 or I play the 333. Like I don't need that much volatility in my lineups. And uh I had Cordero Patterson projected very, very well as well. And like they were the same cost, right? 5,800 for Cordero Patterson, 5,900 for Dave Montgomery. And I'm like, I'm building out my lineups. I'm like, yeah, I already have, I have plenty of relative value. I can just go with Dave Montgomery here because I have him and Cordell Patterson basically projected the same. And you had Cordell Patterson projected the same as David Montgomery? Pretty close. Yeah, I had, uh, I don't think exactly the same, but I had him up there. I but had I, him. Yeah, actually, I wrote a, I wrote him up in my, in my GPP core on the site. I had Leonard Fournette and Cordell Patterson, not Dave Montgomery. Oh, so but Leonard Fournette, like, I mean, Taking a look, I have an aggregate projection up here from yesterday. Yeah. Like uh, Patterson, Patterson 12.61, Montgomery 16.76, Leonard Fournette 18.97. But the thing is that Patterson, in in the Blitz especially, the Blitz had him much higher than other places. Uh, And that made me hammer the over 41 and a half yards on, uh, on prize picks. And the over four, 9.9 fantasy points on underdog. Yeah. And uh, turned out very profitable. I had, so I had uh, Leonard Fournette at 18.4. I had Dave Montgomery at 17.6. I had Cordell Patterson at 16.9. So I had all, I had all lower, three of those but that's guys. Still, that's yeah. still outside. Yeah, yeah, because the, the Blitz didn't have it for that high. Yeah, I had I had all three of those guys real close. Um, and, and, and they were by far the best values on the slate. I had James Conner up there, but I, I, I'm never sold on James Conner. So um, I was fine with Cordero Patterson. I did end up after getting just, just fisted on the, <laughs> the early games. I did end up swapping off Leonard Fournette for Cordero, for Cordero Patterson so that I could give myself some chance to min cash. Um, didn't work out, but he ended up doing really well. And uh, you know, that's, that's nice. But yeah, that, that one V one, Reducing volatility in a lineup can come back to bite you a bit. Yeah, I had Cordell Patterson in one out of my 85 large field lineups. <laughs> <laughs> Need more. And it was in a Bengal stack. I have it right here. Burrow, Tiggins, Hurst. I played see, the, the, uh, I played in, in large field GPP in, in all my lineups because I picked, I picked 10 for my small field from my large field. Yeah. Uh, I ele- like this past late, I allowed much more two tight end builds. So did I. And uh, also running back plus wide receiver combinations without the quarterback. So Uh, I I was running lineups without restriction, just simple stack restrictions, because that's Mm -hmm. what I do on Friday, right? Friday or Saturday, like Saturday, Saturday night ish. Uh, And because I'm running like aggregates and running projection sets to see what, you know, what other people are going to do, especially. And in the aggregate sets, I was just getting, I was getting a lot of like Higby plus Irv Smith, like that type of lineup or getting lineups like Mixon plus Higgins, getting lineups like Singletary plus Diggs without Josh Allen, 
like St- Miles Sanders plus Goddard type mm-hmm. of lineups. And people don't tend to play those combinations as much. And since mm-hmm. I'm focusing a lot on combinations, once I group out the combinations that I don't want, because that's what I did. I mean, like, this is the final. I mean, I, I just left up my lineup HQ just for just final. You can see how many groups I have in here, Ooh. right? I have tons of groups, okay? Yeah. Some of them are simple groups. Some of them are like, uh, uh, use it most one of Cook. Like, I, I typically don't play two running backs, the opposing running backs on this, each side mm-hmm. of a game. So it's like Cook and Swift, max one. I mean, like, that's the type of group. Or I'll have a group like, uh, let's see, uh, group... Uh, like if I'm using Patrick Mahomes, use one of Kelsey or Juju, right? So don't have a Mahomes, Hardman, Valdez, Scantling stack, yeah, yeah, right? So I'm just like simple stuff like that. But then I also put in my my anti-correlation groups, which is basically seeing what the field is going to do and what players are more combined with one another. So for instance, uh, let's see, where. I mean, because they're all over the place. Uh, is this all the way at the... No, that's the po- bottom one. I think I got it in here somewhere. Yeah. The number one group was no more than one of Diggs, Fournette, or Montgomery. Mm-hmm. They were the most, the three most correlated players to each other in lineups. So I decided, although I can make lineups with all three of them, and then I, I would have to use ownership max in order to, to adjust for that. I'm trying. I'm trying to build lineups without having to use a maximum ownership to weed out lineups. Because what ends up happening a lot of times when you're just using ownership, some is that you're just going to get like a one two point two percent on player in an otherwise chalky lineup. And I just don't want to have. A, I don't want to have the six same players as other people, and then just one. I want to have a four v four, a five v five off of those combinations. And it's it's very hard to just have an ownership sum. And just go, just get me to get me under 120, under 100, under 80 to get that. Because then you just get, okay, you're going to get Diggs, Fournette, Montgomery, and then three 1% owned players. It's like, no, I'd just rather have like, instead of 1% owned players, just give me a whole bunch of 8% owned players that in combination. So I decided to go with the max of one of Diggs, Fournette, and Montgomery. And then I also had my second level group, because that was the level one group. The second level group added... Tyreek Hill, Amon Ross St. Brown, yeah. Brandon Cooks, Josh Jacobs, Romeo Dubs, Mac Hollins, Irv Smith, and the and the Panthers defense. So this was a no more than two group. I could have made it no more than three, but yeah, I, I knew who I was playing more of. Yeah. And you'll see in the the, the, the the fourth group that I made. So yeah. this is the second level group. So I'm going to play no more than two of these guys in any lineup. Right, based on and how do I get to these players? Well, I just basically run projections of multiple projection sets and then I throw them into the portfolio correlation matrix, mm-hmm. theoryofdfs.com, and see basically you could, you could just sort by variance factor, right? See max percent of lineups, and then whoever bubbles up to the top, yep, that's your level one. The then you have like a level two right underneath it, and level three, you don't even have to worry that much about because it's like. Well, if they're in a max of 6% of lineups, that isn't that high. Right. They're like Fournette, Montgomery, and uh, Fournette, Montgomery, and Diggs got as high as 45% in some portfolio, in, in mm-hmm. some projection sets. And then you got guys like Cooks that were coming up at like at 18 
in a lot of at 16. That's like second level. So they get they get added to the second level group. And then I also have a third level group that I added Cooper Cup, Dalvin Cook, uh, Jalen Waddle, uh, Curtis Samuel, Raheem Mostert, Hawkinson, and then the Raiders and the Jaguars defense. And then I set a max three on that. So it's like I don't mind I don't mind one of I don't mind one of each, right? Or I don't mind three from one group or three from you know three from groups. It doesn't matter. Just not all of these together. And then what I also do and is I made a group of the m- most anti-correlative players and say, I want at least one to two of these guys mm-hmm. in most of my li- in any of my lineups. So out of my 85 set, I had at least one of Devontae Adams, Derrick Henry, Travis Kelsey, A.J. Brown, Drake London, and Miles Sanders. Yeah. The most anti-correlated. And then I built built a second one where I'm like, I want two to four. And I add the next, the level two of that, which is Justin Jefferson, Jonathan Taylor, McCaffrey, Mixon, Higgins, Juju, Damian Pierce, Higby, and Perriman. Mm-hmm. Right? So now I'm that that's how I'm deciding to build lineups like that. Uh and all, all that information is coming out, and then I'm seeing what types of lineups. And then I also built, I wanted to make sure to not play. I didn't want to jam in. Like, I didn't want to have a McCaffrey-Henry lineup. Yeah. Right? And I also didn't want to have, like, a Jefferson-Adams line. Like, I didn't want to have Jefferson Cup. Like, essentially, if you're going to if you're gonna jam two high-priced guys in your lineup, you're going to be forced to play Matt Collins or Romeo Dubs or yeah. one of the chalkier value plays. And those lineups are going to be much more in combination because you have to play certain players. It's like once you get under, if you're playing 4K, 5K players, or you're playing 6K, 7K players, there's just so much more combinations of them than playing nine, two 9K and one 3K and then the punt tight end. Like there just aren't as many options there. So I set a custom rule in lineup HQ to give my lineups at most one running back with more than 7,000 salary, which covered essentially Cook, a mix-in Cook, McCaffrey, Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and yeah. then give my lineups at most one wide receiver, a tight end to have more than 7,800 in salary. Mm-hmm. So that's Judd, Jamar Chase, Adams, Chase, Cup, Jefferson, like those. And it also covers Kelsey as well. And just to clarify, this kind of grouping should be used on slate on slates where there is a lot of shaky value, right? Like this is a slate specific rule that you're putting together. Just oh, to yeah, clarify, no, this, is, what, this is not something that I would do every. But no, I all the groups and everything I did is all based on me running lineups. Like yeah. I, that on Saturday on Saturday night this, for week four, this could look completely different. I mean, the, 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 like oh, maybe I'm looking to play. We have a lot of 4K options to choose from, or we have a lot of. Like uh, you know, there's a group of like five running backs in the in the six K range that aren't going to be owned in combination as much, so maybe they don't have to be grouped together. It's all re- it's all dependent on the slate. Uh, the value is is that I didn't have many three K wide like the three K options were sparse and owned, so like it it was it I did not want to make cup I didn't want to make cup. Jefferson, I don't want to make a cousin stack. Like, imagine trying to make a cousin stack with Jefferson and Irv Smith, and then also playing like Cup, 
or McCaffrey or Henry in that lineup. Yeah, it just forces you onto onto the it forces you onto Nelson Aguilar and it forces you onto Brashad Perriman. It forces you onto a very ch- Jaguars defense, right? It just it it once you make that first decision, your salary constraints alone forces you into other decisions that there aren't like many other options for, mm-hmm. which means anyone that made the first decision most likely is going to be correlated with the second decision. So a lot of the the lineups that have Je- Jefferson Thielen, uh, Jefferson uh, Smith, Cousins, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, that also have Cooper Cup in it, like almost guaranteed has Mac Hollins or Romeo Dobbs in it, almost guaranteed has Damian Pierce in it mm-hmm. as a cheap running back, like it has the Jags defense, because that's the only way Jawan Johnson, double tight end or something like that. It just, it, who else are you going to play? Oh, I'm going to play that same lineup, but instead of Jawan Johnson, I'm going to play Jeff Swain. Right. Like, I don't want him to, like, no, I want to be more of a two, like, instead of playing uh, Romeo Dobbs, I'm playing who? Someone that's projected five points lower for the sake that they, they're not owned. It's like, cause there's only so many people that are projected well in that range. So that's the reason I set these, these types of things. And there's no correct answer. Right. I just made the judgment call of I'm I'm not thinking about what lineups to play. Maybe this is a better way to put it because we talk about all the time. That's why we built these Excel tools. You built these things. I you built the tools. I envisioned the tools. Uh, I was the ideas guy. Right. You actually did the work. Right. Uh, the tools are not there to build the, to figure out the lineups to play. It's to eliminate the lineups that you don't want to play. Right. So just like with Snellman or whatever from uh, Discord, it's like I put 2000 lineups in like for the showdown tonight, I'll probably do the same thing. I'll probably put 2000 lineups of all different types of configurations. Right. Uh, and go through and go, okay, which one show up the most, but from a diversification percent for uh, standpoint, like I don't want to just play all of like some $200 scrapper just because <laughs> they project for two points. Uh, and then also throw it into duplicate. I don't want to play that duplicated of a lineup, but do I want to play lineups that are so like leaving 12,000 on the table just because they're not duplicated? No, I don't want to play all my lineups that way. It's like, so it's a matter of finding the candidate lineups that you're going to choose from and then finding some way to eliminate that, finding the smaller edges in and of themselves. Well, you could do that from scratch in lineup HQ by using these settings. But that's why between the tools, like Line of HQ is a generation tool, while the Theory of DFS tools are more of an elimination tool. So I'm just building, like, look, I built 300 lineups using these rules and then got it down to 85 by trimming the bottom, trimming the top, saying, like, do I really want to have 35% of this guy? Let me trim a bunch of that those lineups, mm-hmm. right? And And doing stuff like that. So this is a way to eliminate lineups, not get to lineups that are better. And when it comes to eliminating lineups, a lot of times you're eliminating on very small edges. So, like, I'm only playing 85 lineups. I could have built 5,000 lineups. I need to find a way to to eliminate what. How am I going to decide which ones are slightly better than other ones if they are? Well, I've got to find some way. So, like one one of the one of the ways I built 300 and. Uh, and it takes me a long time to do it, so I don't do it. I typically eliminate lineups that have a wide receiver and the team defense in it. Yeah. 
right? But I can make those groups, but it, it, you have to make 28 groups for that. Uh, so I just let it build like that, and then I just go through and eliminate those lines. Mm-hmm. Look, I eliminate those lines. Imagine if I didn't put these rules in. I could have just gone through and just said any lineup with cop and with two high-priced wide receivers or jams in two high-priced running backs. I have 5,000 lineups to choose from. I'm going to get rid of the 1,300 that have that. Yeah. Right. And I still am left with 3,700 lineups to choose from. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just starting from the point of like, well, I've already decided that I'm going to eliminate by that judgment wise. So I'm just going to put it in to just not build those lineups so I can build 300 that are already weeded out and then pick the 85 from there and then go through. And then that's where like the exposures come from. The exposures aren't like, I want more, I want less. It all comes, the minimum exposures are all the people that are in the, those those anti-correlative groups. Mm-hmm. And the max exposure are the ones that are in the, the correlative groups, right? Yep. And that's primarily for diversification because in that group of like Fournette, Montgomery, Diggs, if I don't set a max, maybe I end up getting 70% Montgomery, 10% Fournette, and no Diggs. Right. Right, because it's just, it's there's no max. So it's like, oh, Montgomery fits in more lineups than anything else. So whatever. It's like, well, I still want some digs. Mm-hmm. I still want some Fournette, right? So it's like, okay, what do I what do I cap them? What, what, what am I comfortable capping them at? And I just cap them, right? Cap 20, 20. I don't know. I don't know. Get, give me no more than this, right? And then on the second group, I'm like, okay, level two, 15. Level three, 10. And then see what comes out. And then once you run it once, and then I do the opposite on the group like AJ Brown. I want at least, you know, 10, 15%, 15% Henry. I want at least 15% Miles Sanders, 10% Damian Pierce. Because that's the group I'm forcing into. I'm saying I want one of these guys. Yeah. But I don't want one of these guys in 60% of my lineups. And then like four of the others don't even show up. Right. Because that one just from a point per dollar perspective just projects better. So that the exposures aren't like, I want more than the field or under the, they had nothing to do with ownership whatsoever. Just let me get a diverse set of lineups because I'm building 300 and then choosing 85. So I want as diverse from that point. If I, I mean, if I end up, I mean, when I ran lineups, I was getting a lot of Romeo dubs and I ended up with a lot of Romeo dubs, but I mean, I ended up with 22% in my 85 lineups. Mm-hmm. But on this original run, he came in at like 40, 40%. And it's like, do I want to have 40% of my lineups with Romeo Dubs in it? No. So I eliminate it, start eliminating the Romeo Dubs lineups. Yeah. Right. And as I'm eliminating, I, I, as I'm eliminating David Montgomery lineups, I'm getting more Stefan Diggs lineups because of that level one group. So like everything just fits together. And I'm just, putting lineups together, but I was getting like with those running back wide receiver, I was getting Leonard Fournette, Russell Gage lineups, mm-hmm. mix and Hig, like in my non capped run of doing this. And when I see that, I'm like, well, why can't I do, I mean, imagine stacking two teams, right? Yeah. So I have my main stack. So I'm stacking, you know, Jalen hurts with, uh, with AJ Brown and Dallas Goddard, which would have been better with Devonta Smith instead. A little bit, uh, a little bit. Even though I had some of those lineups, uh, then I'm like, well, what happens if the, the Bucks do well and they're priced so that they're competitive? It's like mm-hmm. I'm not playing to overpriced people; I'm playing to underpriced people. So it's like I don't mind these running back wide receiver combinations, especially when running back sucks. Running well, back and, is brutal. 
think about the way that it scores too. I, I mean, like you can break individual teams down into kind of the same way that I think about showdown lineups where when I build out a showdown lineup, I'm really trying to think how players interact with each other. And feasibly when it comes to a wide receiver with one wide receiver with one running back, right? We're not talking two wide receivers and one running back because that obviously is super negatively correlated. But with one running back and one wide receiver, the wide receiver can have 160 yards and be tackled at the one three times. And the running back can run in three, run, three rushing touchdowns from the one yard line and still have hundred yards rushing. And like those two players still are going to do very well. And the quarterback is not going to do well because the quarterback didn't get passing touchdowns. So there's nothing wrong. I think with that, I, I think that it is kind of like people look at it and it's not one of the, the like mainstream correlative things that people talk about, but it's not, super negatively correlated like it's, it's not, it's but not. It, no it's it what what it is what it is james two things first off they're pot anyone if you're if you're let's say i tell you a team scored 56 points yeah all their players are correlated to each other i mean like yeah, all the players on the points. same team are correlated to the performance of the team in general mm-hmm. now from a median perspective so at the 50th percentile they're all correlated. The players on the same team are correlated to each other. At the 60th, at the 70th, they start losing correlation, but they're still positively correlated. It's like once you get to that 80, 85th, then they start veering apart. So, like, if you play Mixing and Higgins in the same lineup, it's like they both, Mixing could have 24 points and Higgins could have 28 points, right? Nice 80th, you know, 78th, 80th percentile outcomes. That's fine. But if Mixing has 48 points, Higgins has 12. Like right. when, once you start getting to the 90th, now they start coming apart. But a lot of times, depending on the price of the players, this is the second point, do you need that much? So for instance, Jacobs plus Adams is much different than Jacobs plus Hollins mm-hmm. because well, Hollins and- is only 3,300. He doesn't like Jacobs could score 25 and Hollins could score 20. But Adams at his price, the Adams 20 points ain't good enough for 8,400. He, he needs 35, 40 points. Mm-hmm. And and I, I will also say that uh, I, I, I just think in general people overreact to running back wide receiver correlation. I, like I because I got asked a lot of questions. It was uh, week two when when the Raiders were going to be like popular, right? When it when it was going to be Devontae Adams like forty percent out, and he was. And people were asking me, "Well, do, do you think that Josh Jacobs is good enough leverage off of Devontae Adams?" And I'm like, honestly, no, I don't. I like because even in that eighty fifth percentile, like the way that Josh Jacobs is scoring fantasy points does not necessarily separate him away from the way that Devontae Adams scores fantasy points. And yeah, now but we're getting... Pro- but you do, but you do it price-wise. Like, you well, wouldn't no, play no, them and together I'll, because I'm getting to that. I'm getting right. to that. Okay. So, like, the... And, and this comes with, like, football knowledge. And we always say that you don't have to know the sport to be able to do well at the sport. And, like, this is kind of getting into the weeds of things a little bit. But I want to be on a soapbox for a second. So, like, the way that Josh Jacobs is scoring points, say at 5,500, Josh Jacobs does not get receptions. Like he's not somebody who's going to end a game with like 10 targets and seven receptions. So he's not taking away the receptions from Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams with a 35% receiving share of, of like the targets for a team can feasibly get there with 160 yards and 12 receptions and one touchdown. And Josh Jacobs can still get there 
with 100 yards and two touchdowns. Like that's feasible with the way that those two players interact, even with Devonta Adams being at 8,000, 8,500, he can still get there in terms of an 85th percentile. You're right that a 90th percentile or a 95th percentile outcome, whatever, like if Devontae Adams scores 40, Josh Jacobs very likely only scored like 12. You're absolutely right about that. But like, I think that the way that people think about it and when you, when you say that a player is negatively correlated or when you say that a player is direct leverage on another player, you really have to think about the way that they score fantasy points. And if that negative correlation is enough to really justify the pick as your source of direct leverage, because there's so many other ways to do it. Like the best way to leverage Devonte Adams is with Darren Waller, because those two literally cannot like that. There's a, yeah, but it would also depend like, and like, I, the clearest point here is, is price. Right. And, right, because Jared Waller is fifty eight hundred, and and Adams is eighty four hundred. I think a good ex- another example here mm-hmm. is, uh, I would say, is Jonathan Taylor at nine thousand and Michael Pittman Jr. at sixty nine hundred. Mm-hmm. It's hard, like, it's it's hard for both of them to hit. Like Jonathan Taylor, thirty five points means Pittman ain't getting touched. Yeah, Pittman could go. Nine for a hundred with a touchdown to get twenty-seven, but like you're spending like you're spending you're spending nearly sixteen thousand on both players. Right. Like that's one of the main reasons why I, I didn't play as much of the the Buffalo Miami stack yesterday because of the expense. It like and it, 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 it's very similar to the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs I wanted more of, but it just from a price perspective. Like to play that just it, it got you into spaces where anyone that's playing that stack is the, the amount of combinations that are left in the rest of your lineups is much lower. Mm-hmm. So like if you're gonna play Allen plus Diggs plus Knox plus one of Hill Hill or Waddle, that's that's damn expensive. Yeah. Right? I mean it's a that was yeah, great game environment, everything, blah, 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 blah. But from an expense standpoint, like there was so many bet. Like, I mean, one of the ones that I, I I had a bunch of was Mariota, London, Pitts, and then Lockett or Metcalf, and then the other side of the game also. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just because none of their players are more than six thousand dollars. So, like, yeah. like I, I I'd rather those I don't mind, or even the Bucks. Like, I didn't stack the Bucks, but I had no problem playing Fournette with any of the Bucks wide receivers. I didn't have any problem playing Ramondre Stevenson and one of the cheap Patriots wide receivers because it's like, you look, it's like, aren't they negatively correlated? Not, they're not negatively correlated. If the Patriots do well, they're all positively correlated for their 50th percentile outcome. Okay. And now, once you start creeping up, like they're fine at their 60th, they're fine at their 70th, but it's like, Ramon, at the at the running back position where I'm expecting running back to be garbage, and it's like, can I get 15 points? Like Ramondre Stevenson's like 5K. Yeah. Like like Devontae Parker's 4K. Like what? I don't need these guys to have 150 yards. They're only 4K. Like give me can can these can these guys get me 15 points? Maybe 20. And can they do that together? Sure. Why not? How 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 much does it take to, for a receiver to get 20 points? Right. What five for five for seventy and a touchdown or something? That's eighteen points. Like that's 
That's a no, that's not that's not absurd. A running back to get 15 points, right? 50 yards rushing, 40 yards receiving, and four receptions and a touchdown. It's like, okay, these aren't like absurd type games. So it's like at their price now, if they were both with nine thousand, then yeah, yeah, that that probably ain't happening. Mm-hmm. So like that's why I was getting these wide receiver uh, running back combinations, even Mixon Higgins, which I thought like was right at that level of like maybe this. The, the expense of them together isn't worth it. So I, I eliminated a whole bunch of those lineups because I, I got a lot of mixed and Higgins lineups. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I eliminated a bunch of them. But, I mean, these aren't the types of things. I, I want to highlight the reason why we we make courses and tools. Number one, to, to for, for you to learn the concepts first and then how to apply the concepts to specific slates. Mm-hmm. That it's not like, oh, what's what's oh, what exactly do you do? There's no such thing as exactly to do. And then right. once you apply the concepts to and then analyze the specific slate, and it's like, well, how do you analyze a specific slate? Well, that's what the tools are for. I mean, like, I'm literally just running lineups. I'm like, what shows up more than others? And then also the second level is if it's showing up a lot for me, it's probably showing up for a lot for other people also. So how do I find the balance? Of like, this is what's showing up the most. This is what's showing up the least. But since people know that, I need to find something that like balances out. Like it's not the most, but it's not the least. It's somewhere in the middle that arbitrages that inefficiency. Like, how do you figure that out? You run the liner. So when, when people, when when people like, how did you figure? How did you know? How did you know that you could play Fournette and Russell Gage together? Like they'll look at a lineup and go, that was. And he didn't play Brady in that lineup, and he didn't, and he played Romeo Dubs. And I was like, I didn't even play Romeo Dubs in that lineup as a runback. I played him because he actually was a projected good value at thirty eight hundred anyway. So why not play them in those lineups? And then, uh, and then, like, why am I playing Brady in that lineup? I could play Burrow. I could play Hertz, and I could play Hertz uh, and AJ Brown in that lineup, right? And I, I have a tight end position, and I've got her. And it's like, well, you played that lineup and you didn't have a run back from the commanders. It's like, why do I need a run back from the commanders? Maybe the mm-hmm. Eagles just truck them. I mean, like, like you don't need these things in a different lineup where I had a spot for a $5,100 player. Maybe Curtis Samuel would have fit in that lineup, but not that specific lineup projected better for its ownership without having the run back. Mm-hmm. That specific lineup, only because of this particular combination of players didn't allow for a I need I needed to use a forty seven hundred dollar wide receiver, and it was Russell Gage. But you have Leonard Fournette in that lineup, yeah. But that still projects better, mm-hmm. right? It's like you wouldn't rather have the run back than have a wide receiver running back combination without the quarterback. It's like in that specific lineup, no, in that specific lineup. But how would you know that until you run? I'm running five thousand lineups. I'm running two thousand lineups. Mm-hmm. I'm going through the I'm going through the portfolio trimmer and the correlation matrix and going, which comes up more than not for their ownership, and then uh, figuring out if you made a mistake anywhere because if I don't project ownership correctly, like based on this aggregate, a lot of people are going to play this. A lot of people are going to play this guy. Like, is it is are we projecting his ownership too low? And then I I'll bump his ownership from like six to nine percent. Then once I put it at nine percent, he comes up about on on average. Yep. Just so like that three percentage point difference matters that much. 
And I'm like, okay. And then I leave him at nine and I leave him and go, if everyone's going to be using this ownership, they're going to get a lot more of this guy, which means that they're going to end up being more owned than we expect them to be. So I move the ownership to what I expect it to be like that. That is the game that I'm playing. And that's very simply why, like you could, you could watch these shows. I mean, I, I do my process even on the shows and go, well, I'm going to do it exactly that way next slate. It's like, yeah, but you're not going to have the same numbers as me. Right. You may have the same projections as me. If you sign up for Roto grinders, right. You get the blitz or something in NFL, right. You may end up having the same exact median projections and even the floor and ceiling projections as me, but you will never have the same ownership projections as me. Right. Because I'm looking through and I'm running going, this guy's going to be more on than that. I'll bump him up three points. This guy's going to be less on than that. I'm going to bump. And how do I do that? Do I run that through a tool? Nope. That's just purely, I, yeah, I run it through a tool to go, how many people are actually going to play this guy? Even though he does, he does project highly, but I don't know if people could press that, but like that to me, that's purely a judgment call. And also yeah. depends on the contest that you're playing. If, if it's a Millie, it's, I'm more likely to go with whatever the owner, whatever RG ownership says, I'll probably, that's probably fine because less people are looking at projection sources. But when I'm playing the smaller field, the single entry three max stuff, the 10 lineups I build for that, screw you. I know Matt Collins is going to be way higher owned than what we have. I know Romeo Dub is going to be way higher owned. Rashad Perriman or Nelson Aguilar when uh, when Myers got ruled out. Like, I, I know this. So I have to judge those lineups much differently and bump up their ownership and bump down ownership of other people. So, like, mm-hmm. like to me, that is the game. You do both of those things together. Like we could both do the same exact, we could do the same exact process and end up on completely different lineups. Yep. Yep. Your lineups, your just lineups just lost yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) My lineups didn't do that great. I cast six out of 10 of my single entry three max lineups. And I think I got like a three or four X on like two or three of them. Yeah. Right. So that made that small profit or whatever, but I got nothing in like the top, like, like top hundred or anything. I, uh, I, I one, I agree with everything you said. Um, it, it's why you end up with so few dupes in contests because, like, even if you have the same process as somebody who's really, really good, like, you won't ever have the same exact numbers. So, um, and I got blanketed this week. I don't play cash. If I'd have played cash, it would have been fine, but um, got beat in GPPs mostly just because everything is terrible. So, that's why. But we'll, you know, we move on next week. What were your what were your three what were your three what were your three lineups? So you played a cousin stack? So just tell me the stacks. It doesn't matter what just like Okay. I played a Minnesota stack. Okay. I played a Philadelphia skinny with just Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown. Okay. Tragic. Uh and I played Las Vegas stack with a Derrick Henry comeback. Okay. So you weren't you weren't far off from in my in my I mean I I I could even show you my ten I mean I have them saved. So my 10 lineups, I played a, J- a Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard with Curtis Samuel run back. Yep, yep. And here, look, Fournette and Gage, same lineup, yep. right? Uh, I would have loved Devontae Parker over Nelson Aguilar in this lineup. Uh, then I played Sta- I played a Stafford-Higby Cup lineup. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, and I didn't uh, I didn't care about run backs with the, the Rams. Uh, I played a Josh Allen, Dawson Knox, Stefan Diggs lineup with Tyreek sure. Hill. I mean, I'm still going to play. I'll still, how do I get this different? Right. 
yeah. still going to play it. And this didn't end up having the Patriots defense in it anyway. I mean, these are the lineups I put in, and then I then I may switch I may switch it around. So this is what I ha- originally had. Yeah. Uh, then I have Mariota, London, Pitts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Then I have Romeo Dubs, Leonard Fournette, Damian Pierce. I had a whole bunch of Damian Pierce. Yeah. As a cheap running back, Cooper Cup in the flex. I mean, this lineup cashed, but whatever. Yeah, he, I, I played Cousins, Thiel, and Jefferson instead yep, of playing Irv Smith. And th- so I could play Hawkinson in the tight end spot as the run back mm-hmm. in this lineup. Mm-hmm. Raheem Mostert across from Stefan Diggs, Kendrick Bourne in this lineup. Right. So I played a I played a car lineup, Carr, Hollins, Adams. Uh I played a lot of Trevion Bur- Trevion Trayvon Burks. Yeah. I didn't play I didn't play much of Henry as a run back in the in a Raiders stack, but I did play Henry Hollins combinations. I had the only way, and I was thinking about it because I had in my breakdown, and when people asked, they asked me if I thought that Derrick Henry was like a good play with Las Vegas. And I just wasn't sold on it until I actually started building lineups and like really thinking through the combinations and thinking through the way that I could make it work. And I, the, the only way that I could see Las Vegas reaching what they needed to reach in order for it to be a good GPP lineup was if Derrick Henry did well. Like that, the Tennessee is a That's team. Classic, is- you're talking about classic Derrick Henry, like. Like uh, he'll catch three or four balls out of the backfield on a case, like any did. He caught five. Yeah, sure. And he also gets that eighty-six yard run that the only blows everything up. It was the only way that I saw that game being competitive enough that Las Vegas was going to actually have to throw enough to make it work, and it did. I, I mean, like things worked out the way that I wanted them to work out, but it just didn't quite get there. And, and the main reason it didn't get there was because that lineup was Derek Carr, uh, Derek Henry with. Uh, Matt Collins, Devontae Adams, which I'm fine with. And then I had David Montgomery, tragic. I had uh, Brandon Cooks as a comeback against David Montgomery, tragic. Yeah, uh, and then I had a secondary of Garrett Wilson, who got injured, and Hayden Hurst, who had one target. So, uh, <laughs> it just, you know, what, so deep, what was the defense? What was the defense? Defense was the Vikings defense, which again, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but, you know, some weeks you nail it. With with your with your little one offs and secondary sacks and some weeks, uh, I, I don't think did... that's a bad line. No, you. No, I thought it was, I thought it was a really good lineup. That's Even my line, that's a lineup that you could have David Montgomery in. Like if you're not going to yeah. have David Montgomery, you could have Fournette in that line. But obviously Montgomery's cheaper. But yeah, that's the type of lineup that yeah, why not? You're not playing Diggs. And that was exactly my thinking between right. him or Cordero Patterson because I and and the other lineup that I had David Montgomery was Jalen Hurts with AJ Brown. Um, brought it back with Logan Thomas. It was two tight end lineup. Had Logan okay. Thomas and Irv Smith Jr. Um, and then I had Dave Montgomery. And then I had a secondary correlation of Tyreek Hill and Gabe Davis to to leverage Stefan Dix. Okay. I, I built good lineups this week. No, but no I had that's fine. Especially, especially for the, the 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 power sweep type, you know, yeah. the one to five thousand entry. Like you 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 dude, I could have built those same lineups. Yep. Yep. And then that one I did end up I, I had the Colts defense in that one, which uh, you know, Kansas City passed a lot. And then I did you have one. You don't have to justify any defense type, but it's just no, 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 no. It's a but, dice um, roll at the bottom of your lineup. Just going through like my thought process on who I choose as the dice roll at the end is like if I can have it against passing team, I'd prefer that. Um, and then that one did have Leonard Fournette as well. Um, but I thought that I had enough. I with a two tight end lineup, not enough people make two tight end lineups. So um I thought that it was fine, and I had the leverage off Stefan Diggs with Gabriel Davis and the leverage off Jalen Waddle with Tyreek Hill. So like with those leverage points in there, 
I thought I there was Waddle and Hill was leverage. I they're both were about the same owner. I I, I had I had Tyreek Hill projected at half the ownership of Jalen Waddle, and he came up higher. So, but my my thought process on all of that was okay. It's fine for me to have David Montgomery and Leonard Fournette here because I have enough leverage and like indirect leverage in my lineup built in. I thought that was fine. Um, if I had known that Tyreek Hill was going to be 16% owned, which I, I thought he was going to come in around 10% owned because he was so much more expensive than Waddle, um, I would have played Cordero Patterson and Leonard Fournette instead of having Dave Montgomery in this lineup. If I would have known Miles Sanders was going to be 20, the third highest owned player on the slate, I would have played much less of I I didn't I had him as an anti-correlative play, and he actually turned out to be a correlative play. Like that's the worst. That is the worst. Yeah, I, I had him like, at 22%. To me, like, this is how I review. I look, and I when I look here, remember, the way that I review play is what I've done, and, and now that I have the information, I'm not talking about the player performance, but now that I have the information of what my opponents did, would I have done anything differently? Right. Yeah, Miles Sanders would have made the level two correlative group instead mm-hmm. of the group one anti-correlative. Like, like, dude, I would have barely had him. I would have had so much more Damian Pierce or Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah. Had I not at well, I didn't Miles Sanders. I and what did what what was his aggregate? I had him projected at 23% ownership. Really? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, I 11 11.5 in the ag, in the in the aggregate. Yeah, I had him projected at 23. I had in terms of the highest overall running backs that I had projected, I had Dave Montgomery projected at 29.5. I had Damian Pierce projected at 25. Leonard Fournette projected at 22. And Miles Sanders projected at 22. Yeah, I, d- I did not have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't, but but to go back to your point of like, this this is how both of us review, review lineups. Like my, my statement of if I had known that Tyreek Hill was going to be 17% owned, I wouldn't have played David Montgomery in this lineup. I, I don't think that I had enough leverage in this lineup with Tyreek Hill being that highly owned, but like the actual plays themselves, like I, I don't enter a lineup unless I think it's a really, really good lineup. I only got three bullets to work with. So I'm making some really, I, I'm really making sure that my decisions are sound. And after the slate, uh, like I, I have already picked the players that I thought were best for those lineups. And if it turns out that one of those players is significantly higher or significantly lower owned. I think that was a mistake on my part of process because I I wouldn't have done that the same way. Right. I, and I the the second lineup, that lineup, I think is the only one that I would have done differently because the the Minnesota lineup had plenty of leverage and I, I thought it was built out really well. So I I'm happy with two of the lineups, but that Tyreek Hill ownership that's that's well the same thing with me. Like the number the number one thing that I look at my lineups and go. These lineups would look the Sanders lineups would look different. I mean, yeah. like, I, why am I, and what and what and and I would be diversified and end up with less Sanders mm-hmm. than having more Sanders. So, like that to me, that's the that's the main thing I take away from this. Uh, in the chat, uh, I'll go through some YouTube questions before we get out of here. Hit that hit that th- the thummy thumbs. You know how much I love the thummy thumbs. Uh, uh, Matt Mears says, I find that you need to do a lot of the type of analysis Saturday night because Sunday uh, increases the risk of technical issues. Yeah, there was there, there was a problem before lock with the lineup HQ. I, I, I saw it didn't it didn't affect me. Uh, I guess I got mine in before that happened. I mean, 
Uh, all that analysis, like that, all the, the correlation analysis, I do. The only time that I will not do sat, do it Saturday night is if there's compelling news that will dramatically change this. If it's the type of thing where once we get this news, this guy could be 30% owned. Yeah. Like then I want, then, then I'll wait. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, there was nothing that was pending. Well, is Julio going to be active or not? Like, it's not going to change that much. Like, yeah. it's not going to change that much. Like, some of the – is Jacoby Myers going to play? It's not going to – yes, yes. We're going to get a bump to Aguilar. You're going to get a bump to Bourne. You're going to get a bump to Parker. But is it going to be something where, like, their ownership goes from 3% to 30%? No. So, like, so I'm just going to I'm just gonna run it beforehand. And then when I build my lineups, I get up at, like, 9 in the morning. And I build – and I put in all the groups. I, I'm doing all that with – the morning aggregates of projection sets. Mm -hmm. So typically I'm getting those at nine, nine 30 in the morning. And I don't truthfully, if any inactives that changed anything, I'll, I could, I'll manually change. I'll just manually do it. Uh, so all my lineups, my, my 300 lineups, candidate lineups that I got down to in lineup HQ, I was already, I already had it like 11 o'clock. So, so I like, have a question for you. How are you going to handle NBA with this? With what? With with a process of of using the correlation matrix. It's gonna. I, 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 let's see. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's see. <laughs> let let's because because uh, yeah you're right. I know I know. I don't know. Let's see. Let's it's see. gonna, dude. I I am because I I have a process for for the things that I build out too. And usually it, it takes me most of the week. I, I'm building things out on Saturday. I'm testing combinations. I'm looking through the things that. I think are going to make the most sense in terms of the lineups that I build. And then I hand build on Sunday and it takes me about an hour to, to get through and make all the decisions that I need to make. But uh, for, for NBA, we're going to get news 10 minutes before the slate locks that will take somebody from 3% to 30%. That absolutely will take somebody right. from 50% to 5%. Like that these things will happen. And that is going to be hilarious. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it yet. Right. I, I don't know either. That's why I just like, I'll, yeah. I'll trial by fire. Who knows? Uh, another uh, question. We have uh, Paul Adair says in the chat, uh, I use the tools. I use the tools, the theory of DFS tools, which you can get at theoryofdfs.com to build uh, three single entry lineups. Ended up doing well with a Hertz lineup stack. I need to dial it in. Was getting tons of Pierce yesterday, but ended up working out. Well, I got mm -hmm. tons of Pierce also. Yep. Right. That is, I, I had him lower projected, lower own ownership projected than you did uh that's why i said the numbers matter the tools aren't gonna the garbage in garbage out you want to change all the numbers you're gonna get you're gonna trim you're gonna smart trim right if you're like no miles if you put miles sanders at five percent owned instead of instead of 12 percent owned you're gonna get him in like 80 percent of your lineups with smart trim if you put him at 22 percent owned that he comes in at you're barely going to get him in anything. Yeah. Like, like literally, it's going to start wiping out all those lineups and give you yeah. any getting giving you Mostert, Mostert and Stevenson and Cordell Patterson and those types of guys. So, like, the numbers matter. So it's not like the tools aren't doing anything. It's like it, it's all based on the numbers that you're putting in. And uh, Rob Gardner asks, uh, "What's the best way to practice game selection without massive sample size?" There isn't. Uh, do you ever do regression analysis on contest scores? No. Uh, I love GPPs, but they're so high variance, especially with only a 2 to 3% ROI. If you're only getting a 2 to 3% ROI long-term in GPPs, then you're a very bad 
uh, GPP player. Um, so here's. But, I, but do you want to answer all three? You want to answer each question individually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, the same way that you just did it, what's the best way to practice game selection without a massive sample size? Uh, you can actually go back. If you have a database of projections that you have built up, or if you have a database of projections that you have saved, um, you can go back and you can grab CSVs and you can actually do some simulations of the contests if you would like to. You have to be very technically advanced to do it. Um, it's something that I think there's a handful of guys that know how to do in the industry and then they end up doing very well because they know how to do it. Um, there is a way to do it, but you have to, you can't cheat a sample size. You have to have the sample in order to test it. Um, that said, you do not have to have played all of those slates, but you do need to have the sample. Uh, do you ever do a regression analysis on contest scores? Absolutely not. Contest scores don't actually matter. Um, and then I love GPPs, but they're so high variance. Well, no, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Contest scores don't matter because like one slate, you could score 180 and 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 not even cash. And the next slate, you score 180 and win the Millie make. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, so like the actual... The, the the main concept as as described in in both the fundamentals masterclass and this one which is one of the most it's it's probably the most important concept in DFS is that your goal is not to score the most points but to beat to score more than your opponents right and right? that's so why scoring more than your opponents means that either they're not you're scoring or they're not scoring which means we have those NBA slates where Oh my God, 360 points, and I I, I only 1.5x my money, and so you needed a 440 because all the chalk smashed. Uh, and then you have certain another NBA slate where you score 350, you scored five points less and came in third place in the large field GPP. Like doing regression analysis on those things, what would that that wouldn't accomplish anything? Because right, so the that's scores themselves don't matter. That's the thing is anytime that somebody asks me or I, you know, I'll have somebody offhand say like, oh, well, usually, you know, you, you need 300 points to win an NBA GPP. And now you need like 350. It's like, yeah, because people got better. Like it, you, the, the, the crux of it is that focusing on thresholds and focusing on points is not what you need to be a successful DFS player. You have to beat the field. It doesn't matter what the score is to beat the field. You need to beat the field. So that Rob, that's Rob uh, James, Rob, Rob. Uh, Rob's been here before, so I know. So like, that's why I, I'm answering his questions like he's like he's not stupid because he's because he's not stupid. Uh, he's not talking about. He's saying in the chat. He's not talking about like different slates, right? Because obviously, if you're using a term like regression analysis, you're not stupid. So like you right. you have to know that the contest scores don't matter. You'd understand that concept. Talking about more of the the in the money and uh, lowest the win score of like. Uh, a single entry contest with a hundred people has a lower win score than a $10 single entry with a thousand people. Like conceptually, do you have to even do any of that? Because that's all true. Regardless what you would have to do. If you wanted to do anything more detailed, you'd have to simulate the contests right. themselves with the ownership of the individual contests. Right. right. Cause that's what we, we talk about. Oh, I mean, it's talked about in the course all the time of that the ownership around the industry typically is for large field GPPs. So if you're playing single entry three, man, if you're playing the, the, the three thirty three 500 man in NBA or something like that, 
Like, dude, the 78% owned value play is going to be 95% owned. Like, right. at what point is that past equilibrium or under under or over equilibrium? It's going to di- differ from, from contest to contest. So simply just regressing contest win, like, what was the cash line and what was the winning score line doesn't actually tell you anything without... Like, how did I, how would I have been able to build lineups to achieve those things? It would be different from contest to contest, depending on the ownership of the players. The reason why winning scores tend to be higher, the the catching scores tend to be higher in single entry is because people tend to play chalkier lineups and ownership is typically correlated to performance to some degree. It may not be the most degree, the more owned players are typically the better plays. So like, right. like, and, and if they're going to be higher owned, if, if in, in NFL yesterday, right. If, if Stefan did, I mean, a, a lot of the truck didn't, didn't hit, but like, you're going to see a lot of David Montgomery, uh, Stefan Diggs, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Irv Smith lineup. So like the score, the total score of the contest is going to move very heavily on these players because in those contests, it's even heavier. Mm-hmm. David Montgomery may be 40% owned and Leonard Fournette is 38% owned and Amon Ra and Diggs are 40% owned. So like the whole, like so many lineups are moving with the same types of players that like comparing that to then the Millie maker, well, less lineups are moving with less players. So unless you have a way, a way of simulating with that owner, with the individual ownership and all the lineups in it, that's the, that's the only way. What just completely, because what he wants to do and it makes sense. I, w- I would think basically to do that also of like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to look back five years of DraftKings contests. Right. And I'm just going to compare the hundred dollar spy to the Millie maker. And just all I'm taking down is uh, the score, the, the, the cash line and the, the winning score line and the ratio, like, you know, cause obviously you cut, you control it for each slate. So like the ratio for each slate and then, see where where if there's an inefficiency there the, the problem is is that you're comparing apples to oranges because the ownership of one contest is different than the ownership but it'll all depend that ratio on a slate where let's say on a slate where most of the chalk hits you'll find that the ratio is much smaller mm-hmm. because in the small in the in the spy the scores are going to be way higher and the mill the cash line in the milli may actually be very low in comparison because less people are playing chalkier lineups because there's less owned play. I mean, like the player that it, the 48% player in the spy is only 32%. And when he puts up 50 points, like half the lineups in the spy are coming along with it while only a third in the Millie maker. Right. So like on a slate where the chalk smashes, you'll see that you'll see. It's like, wow, I should play tons of lineups in the Millie maker. Cause these people are not making good lineups because this spy lineup, you know, played whatever. And then on a slate where like all the chalk fails, the ratio is like you th- you start thinking the opposite. You go, wow, the cash line for the Millie Maker was higher than the cash line for the spy. And it's like, yeah, because so many chalky lineups are moving together. So like, like you wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't be able to plot that out without you know having some way to account for so for that I will add in one thing here that um I think that it, like I, I agree that it's worthwhile to do that. To go back and look at the ratio 
But you really, like Blender is saying, you have to take into account how chalky the lineups are. You could probably do that and then also note down, not only note down what the in the money score was and what the win score was so that you develop that ratio, but you would also want to take down what the average product some of the lineups that were in the money ended up being. That would be valuable because then you can make a comparison of the ratio between the product some of the lineups as well as the ITM and winning score. That, the, that pro, the, pro, the problem, the, 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 the hugest problem of this, the, the reason why I say it's for, it's worthless to do this because it, it, it's only descriptive. It's not predictive. So like, for instance, like once, let's say you got this information, you're like, I found the correct ratio or whatever. The goal of why Rob is doing this is like, I want to be able to game, game select better, mm -hmm. but it's like, well, is 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 the is the is the slate coming up going to be is the chalk going to smash or not? Like you don't know that. So like if if you didn't if you don't know that then what? Then it's like well if the chalk smashes it would be much better to enter these contests instead of that contest. But if the chalk fails, it would have been better to do the opposite. But you don't All know what said though. Happen. You don't know that it can, but if you can develop an idea and an intuitive sense of when the chalk is good or bad, then this is very valuable. Okay, that's what I think. Good or bad chalk. Yeah, I, I, I think, think a better way. I, I hate using good or bad chalk. It's like when uh, players, certain players, are going to be way overowned or way underowned. I, but but like you can. Okay, no no no. But you can look. I, I think I think that let, there. Let, is... Let's say like James. Let's say for instance, I'm I'm using an extreme example. Sure. A very extreme example. Let's say. Yesterday. Yeah. You knew for a fact that that in in the Millie Maker, uh, Keelan Cole was going to be fifty percent owned. Okay. And in the single entry, he was going to be ninety percent owned. Yeah. And then you look at his projection of like two, mm -hmm. and go, "Are people on crack?" I mean, like, like right, like that type of thing, right? Yeah. You do that. Sure. Like, obviously, this is an extreme example that a guy projected at two for three K is not going to be. That all, but let's just say collective, uh, uh, you know, there's some something in the air, there's poison in the air, there's gad laughing gas, and everyone's doing that. And you're like, well, there's so many people that are willing to sacrifice 10 points of projection for no and get a million points of ownership. Uh, how do I take advantage of this? Is it better to that? Then it would be so much better to play like the single entry stuff because there'll be even more like the, the liners are going to be even more. Right, right. You understand, like if you're if you're playing a ninety percent owned guy, pre, pre, pretend it's an injured player. Yeah, right. We don't even have to say Keelan Cole. Let's just say 99 percent of your single entry field was going to automatically take a zero, and they they're they're happy to do so, and or fifty percent of the milli is happy to take a zero. Well, that means that you're now you're competing with 50% of the line. Like if there's 230, 240,000 entries in this contest, 120,000 are still playing lineups that don't have a zero in it, right? right? So you still have to compete against those. But in your thousand man single entry, right? And you may be competing against 10 lineups. Right. Like because 990 other lineups are like, yes, we're playing the zero for the high owned zero at $9,000 salary for no reason. Right. Like, but I'm using the example to, sh to show that that's, if you knew that, if you knew that there were going to, there were going to be 
very heavily over-owned players or under-owned players, it would be make it would make more sense, for instance, uh, from a leverage standpoint, to play more single entry three max, yes. but also understand that there's so many bad lineups in, in a large field contest as it is that regardless of if that ratio is good or bad, you're playing against weaker players. So right. the simple fact that play, that people are building lineups that are nowhere near equilibrium, like pay for the rake. Right. While in the small field contest, there's enough people that are sharp enough to even build around a high-owned player that your edge is not is not as dramatic as you think. That's why simulating this is so much you, simulating the contests is it's way more precise than trying this like doing regression analysis on these very blunt yeah. things. I think it'll end up to me. It, I view it intuitively as it'll t whatever information it tells you. It's it's more likely to be wrong than be even even directionally correct. It may it may actually just be wrong. Yeah. I can agree with that. Okay. Sean Smith says he used the trimmer for college football this weekend and took down the afternoon slate for 10,000. Held off whistles and did it with only 10 lines. I had I had a sub takedown 125k yesterday. Wildcat. It was awesome. Stoked yeah, no, I, I I same person. Oh, oh, cool. Good. Same person. I I got a DM from them saying thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Stoked on that. Okay. Hit that thumbs up button as usual. Uh I'll I'll be on the the, the pre-lock show later today. So uh, for showdown tonight, Giants Cowboys. Uh, it, it it has to be able to beat the, the, the Broncos game yesterday. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Boy, uh, what was that? I didn't play I you know, you know what made it more enjoyable? You didn't play? I didn't. I didn't play the slate at all. So I was just able to just like sit back and go. These people are dumb. not the. I'm not talking about DFS players. I'm talking about the coaches and the players. Like this is Jimmy G stepping out of the back of the end zone. Right, oh, Russell Wilson magic. throwing balls forty yards that off. I'm just like I'm just gonna watch it. It's absurdity. Terrible. Well, the the you know there's always money to be made. In showdown. I'll have my showdown season article out on the site as well. So people have been enjoying that, and those are fun. So and you could find James on Twitter at. Uh, paydirt underscore DFS or on paydirtdfs.com. You can join his Discord for free. You could join our Discord at Roto Grinders. You get everything you can get uh, the, all the lineup HQ, all the projections, all everything. We'll have the showdown simulation tool, the slate IQ, we used to call it, uh, for premium members. I'm always in the Blenders Game Theory channel in there for Roto Grinders premium members. Uh, we got base, barely a baseball slate. I mean, I, I think we probably are still doing a Grinders Live. I think there's only four games today. Uh, and we got uh, live locks on the scores and odds channel, all the NFL content, the guild cast on the podcast feed. We got podcast feed. We got YouTube channels. We've got everything. I'll be back later with, uh, with Justin SDL cards, what? Seven 30, or so to go over the, the showdown slate. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about the uh, NFL using the tools and, uh, and answering your DFS strategy questions. As I, I always do Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock Eastern here on Roto grinders. Dot com. <laughs>